0: Bears game both teams played great but in the end the big winner between the two cities was once again Pepto Bismol uh right now the Kansas City Chiefs are the big favorites to win the Super Bowl while the biggest underdogs are the Miami Dolphins now the Dolphins are 500 to 1 long shots to win it all you can tell they're depressed when they run out of the tunnel the music in the stadium is Adele
1: (laughs) the Patriots are the favorites to win no the Chiefs oh the Chiefs are the favorites to win okay I was only half paying attention obviously I talked to a guy yesterday who's going to Kansas City to uh, a game. Buddy, he has a buddy who lives there and has tickets. Um, Pat Mahomes. He, I would love to see him play in
2: person. That guy's just got a rocket launcher on his shoulder.
1: <laughs> yes, I uh, have been many to, to many a chief game at Arrowhead Stadium over my many years, and uh, it at, that was a heck of a place. It's a heck of a place to watch a game when the team was bad. Watching it when the team is good, it's just it's as rocking as any place gets in football. Very very fun. What was the coldest football game that you were at? I saw the Kansas City Chiefs play the San Diego Chargers uh when uh, a record was set for most sacks, I believe, that game. Awesome. Yeah, it was it was a it was a huge deal. Um and my beer froze in my cup solid that game. That's what I remember. Drink it too slow, Nancy. It was seventeen degrees. And my beer froze solid. Yeah, you're drinking too slow, Nancy. It's because could, I couldn't hold the cup. And there weren't very many of us there. I mean, it was, it was cold enough that even by, you know, tough Midwestern, you're expecting cold weather. It was,
2: 17 degrees. And, and
1: windy. But, yeah, my beer froze solid. I remember I had my beer underneath my seat with my hands in my pockets. I reached down to get my beer, and it was solid. <laughs> that's, that's cold. So we were talking some about political correctness yesterday and um, some of the new levels we're going to. And it, it, is, it is, well, it's quite amazing. Um, this article that was in the National Review about Michigan State and what they're doing, I'll just read a little bit of it to you if you didn't hear it yesterday. The headline, at Michigan State University, the word but, B-U-T, is a trigger. This and other ridiculous suggestions are harming student employees' ability to communi- communicate comfortably and effectively. Michigan State University instructed student employees to avoid using words and phrases including but, I apologize, and no problem because they are triggers. The students received these instructions during a mandatory hour-long training titled Inclusive and Culturally Sensitive Service to Residents and Guests, according to an article in Campus Reform. The training told students they, they should replace apparent triggers with calmers. That's what we all need to do, people. Replace your triggers with calmers. For example, the word but should be replaced with and, I apologize should be replaced with I am truly sorry, and no problem should be replaced with you're welcome, it was my pleasure. Why that makes any difference, I, you know, somebody's got to explain that to me. But and and mean different things.
2: You can't just replace one with the other. That's the first thing Those I other-
1: thought. Those other ones, okay, those are at least replacements. The other ones, you can do that. I just I can't understand
2: why I need to do that. Right, right. But the the and and the but, those those are two different different words. words.
1: (laughs) I'm trying to think of an example. You're right, and you're an idiot. (laughs) Um, If I'm saying no problem, that's leading a student to believe that they could be a problem or that they could be an inconvenience, and we're just trying to assure them that they're not. So you don't want to say no problem to someone. Oh, you're saying I could have been a problem? Nobody reacts that way on planet Earth. Nobody. You're making stuff up in your own crazy heads. That was according to Sheena Balich, MSU faculties manager and the host of the training. If you say to someone, hey, no problem, that's saying you could have been a problem or an inconvenience to me. And we're trying to ensure they're not with calming words. Among the other triggers was the phrase, it's our policy, which is supposed to be replaced with, here's what we can do. Why, I don't know. You should have needs to be replaced with what others have found helpful. And the only thing we can do is supposed to be replaced with, the best option would be, I I think you people are actually seriously insane. So we talked about that yesterday, and I came across another example I wanted to share with you. I came across the progressives' Style Guide, which made a big splash a couple of years ago, apparently. In the world of writing, there is something called the Style Guide. And the Style Guide has been around for decades, uh, uh, barely updated over the decades. And news writers, people who write for a living, uh, they use the Style Guide all the time. And you go to it, and it'll suggest how you need to punctuate this or which words you're supposed to use. But this is a Progressive Style Guide, and it's all about um, uh, an example would be, you're never supposed to say a handicapped person, say a person who is handicapped. If you say a handicapped person that puts the word handicapped first, and that defines them by their handicap. And so they feel like they are more, their handicap handicapped than a person. I don't believe that happens in the real world. I don't think if you say to someone who is handicapped, handicapped person, I don't think they, Oh, you're defining me by my, uh, by my handicap. I'm not a person to you. I don't think anybody has ever reacted that way, ever. You're making all this crap up in your crazy mind. But the Style Guide has thousands of examples of that. I mean thousands, and it's wild. I was reading through it yesterday. But here's somebody who is reporting on the Style Guide and why they're glad that it now exists. And she was uh, writing this story. A couple of years ago, in an email to a, a million people, it was going out um, uh, to, uh, they have an email chain of a million people. Uh, In an email to, to a million people, I used the phrase, falling on deaf ears. Shortly afterwards, I received this email from the National Deaf Children's Society. So she used the phrase, well, that fell on deaf ears. What implication lies behind this old, outdated phrase? That telling a deaf person about the plight of rabbits, because that's what the story was about, they wouldn't understand, wouldn't be able to communicate, wouldn't care. Deafness is not a learning disability. I just want to express my frustration and disappointment and in an organization that is clearly working for the benefit of others without realizing in their message that they're stigmatizing a minority. I hope you succeed massively with this campaign, but please remember to write in an inclusive manner.
2: I just mean people didn't hear what I was saying. That's what I meant by it.
1: Right. When any of us say, well, that fell on deaf ears. I don't I don't believe that any deaf people that come across that phrase are thinking, oh, I guess because we're so stupid, we can't understand things. I don't believe anybody has ever thought that, let alone everybody thinks that to the level of how dare you even say that sort of thing. This is this is madness. This is absolute madness. It's some sort of psychosis. I've heard people describe it as a a separate kind of religion um, that is being created in, in a similar way. Um, m- most people who use this example aren't fans of religion. So if this is offensive to you, this is their their view of it. But the way they see this as a separate religion is you're you're, you're coming up with something that is make-believe and applying all these rules to it. This, this, uh, this, this world of people that are being harmed by this language is a creation of yours and now you're applying rules to it. I saw some scientists talking about how in, um, uh, the world of academia, academia, there's a big push toward excluding research done by white males because there's been so much research done by white males since the Enlightenment. And, We need to get away from that and only accept papers from minorities, women, gay, trans, whatever. And how that is going to, well, it's going to shut down learning. It's going to stop the ability to learn. It's more or less what the Catholic Church was doing for centuries and before the Enlightenment, in which they said, no, only these people's views count. Galileo's theory with his telescopes, they don't count. We're going to torture him. Only priests are capable of having this knowledge. What they're saying on some university campuses now is only... Only black women or gay men or whatever, you have to be some, not, not a white male, not a white straight male, can have an opinion on science. That's craziness. We're into a world of craziness. I hope this isn't falling on deaf ears, this speech. I, I just, I, I can't even hardly wrap my head around it. And as I pointed out yesterday, I read one story that turned it out to be a spoof, to be a parody. I can't tell the difference between satire Parody and stuff that's actually happening on campuses. We are not allowed to use the word "but." It's just insane. Um, we should post that article at our website for anybody who wants to read it over the weekend. It's 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 nutty stuff. Also nutty stuff. The long climate change town hall on CNN the other CNN the other day. We're going to go through what some of the candidates had planned, what it's going to cost, and what rules you're going to have to follow. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong. For, for, I should have taken the time to see who wrote this story for the National Review. Catherine Timph, Timpf, T I M P F. If you don't know her act, she's a regular on a variety of shows. She's super hilarious. Her Twitter feed is really funny. Timpf, you say? And she also is a, one of those like super hot young blonde smart people and posts bikini pics and stuff like that. So she is a she's she's a mix of things. But anyway, I wanted to follow up with one paragraph that I really liked. It was the, uh, the part about how at Michigan State University, you're not supposed to use the phrase no problem because saying no problem might make a person think, oh, I am a problem or I might have been a problem and make them feel bad about themselves. That's just insanity. Anyway, here's what she writes, and it's pretty funny. Now, I write about political correctness for a living, but oops, I'd still have to say this story was one that I had to read over multiple times to make sure it was actually true. Yeah, I know. Me too. I mean, how on earth is the phrase no problem offensive? The suggestion that saying no problem might actually make people think that they are a problem makes absolutely no sense based on what words mean. (laughs) That's hilarious. It clearly means the opposite because putting the word no in front of problem makes it the opposite. (laughs) That is really funny. It makes no sense because of what words mean. Saying no problem means you are not a problem. If you think you're a problem after I say no problem, I don't know what I can do for you. Anyway, that is really funny. I got somehow I ended up on her Twitter feed the other day, and it was just nonstop great. For instance, she said, "I think it was her that said I've been boycotting Dancing with the Stars for years. I just didn't know it." <laughs> um. So the other day, CNN had a uh, all day. An all-day sucker that was a climate change town hall. And it was literally, I keep throwing around big numbers, but it was literally like eight hours, wasn't it? Seven, eight hours?
2: Uh, Seven hours is the number that I keep seeing.
1: That, that's, that, that's thats long. That is, as you said yesterday, that's too many hours. Way, way too many hours. Um, Geez, so did each candidate have like a full half hour to talk? Yep. That's what it was. Each candidate got 30 minutes. Uh, we've got a little montage here. Uh, we went through some of the prices yesterday with the winner being Bernie Sanders, who said his climate change plan was going to cost $16 trillion, and uh, the the lowest end was a couple trillion dollars. But here's a, a laundry list of some of the things, some of the rules we're going to have to follow or things we're going to have to eliminate to be able to pull off this whole climate change thing.
0: Would you support changing the dietary guidelines? The, the, yes. The, you know, the food pyramid. People are yes. The, yes. To reduce red meat specifically.
3: Yes, I would. Do you ban plastic straws? I think we should. Yes. So, would you ban offshore drilling? Yes. Just today, the Trump administration announced plans to overturn requirements on energy-saving light bulbs. Would you reinstate those requirements? well If you can get electricity from a light bulb that utilizes one
0: tenth of the power that an old incandescent light bulb uses, of course you're going to do that. We have
2: to take the take combustion. <laughs> Just for a moment, I would listen to a podcast on Bernie Sanders talking about light bulbs. <laughs>
1: You that got the 40 watt <laughs> that's for your, that's for your bathroom mirrors you know what the watt? best wattages 27 <laughs> watts um i like the first one with and we got more of these but uh Catherine harris is uh, for changing the food permit kamala, kamala harris yes. we we don't get to eat meat anymore I, I don't know what changing the food pyramid does but to he, any of this. But we all know her act anyway, and, uh, and uh, politicians do this all the time. She, she always says, I'm going to take a look at everything. That doesn't yeah. mean anything. It doesn't mean you're actually going to do yeah, it. I'm, I'm willing to take a look at that. People no longer getting to eat meat. But Anyway, go on.
0: We have to take the, take combustion engine vehicles off the road as rapidly as we can.
2: Educating everyone on the need to curb population growth seems a reasonable campaign to enact. Would you be courageous enough to discuss this issue and make it a key feature of a plan to address climate catastrophe?
1: That's an interesting framing of a question. Uh, yeah, I'd say. So uh, the government will limit how many kids you're going to have, uh, take away your car, your meat, your light bulbs, your straws, uh, which have already happened, and there was one more in there. There's a lot of taking stuff away that has to happen in this uh, in this scenario. Uh, um. um uh, Remember after the New Green Deal came out, which was put together by uh, AOC and a couple other people, her campaign manager actually let slip or said out loud. I don't know why he said it out this l- out loud to a reporter. I don't remember if it was the Washington Post, New York Times, one of your big news organizations. Said out loud, no, the point of the New Green Deal is that we get to remake the economy. It's a, it's a Marxist attempt to remake the, all the rules for everything. Um through I, I don't believe that they actually don't want to do something about climate change, but it's an opportunity to make rules about every aspect of your life. The government to take over all these different things through the climate, climate change stuff. Do we have some more here?
0: And where they can have the opportunity through birth control to control the number of kids they have. Something I very, very strongly. Oh that was uh, pretty support. responding to Let's this. talk about <laughs> offshore drilling
3: for oil. Would
0: you ban it? Yes. Would you ban offshore drilling? <laughs> absolutely
1: yes we will transition off of fossil fuels natural gas coal oil what about the export of fossil fuels from the united states of japan then? absolutely we must get to that wow there's no
3: question i'm in favor of banning fracking
1: i'm in
0: favor
3: of a carbon-free america
0: in my administration we're not going to build any new nuclear power plants we 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 we, we, we set out the rules for what kind of plant you know coal burning plants no one's going to build another coal burning. We've got to shut the ones down we have. We're going to end factory farming because that is not only that is a danger to the environment.
1: Okay, there's a there's the long list of things here we're going to have to eliminate. But yep. so we're going to get we're no more coal plants. We're not going to we're not going to frack here, which is one of the great industries that's happened in the United States, made us energy in, uh, independent, which has changed the world. Um, uh, we're not going to export oil anymore. Boy, that'll do something in the economy. We're no longer going to export oil. And we're going to... No no nuclear power either. So no coal power, no nuclear power, no gas power. I guess it'll all be sun and
0: wind. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, a Brexit breakup takes another major turn. What China's banks are telling us about the trade war and a major Armstrong and Getty 2020 campaign death pool update. Really? Yes. Did somebody get out?
1: Somebody talking about getting out. Stay tuned. Well, this, it's exciting stuff. How could I touch that dial? And Lan He Chen later this hour, our favorite political commentator. Let me finish chewing here for a second. All right, nobody wants to listen to me chew. No the coffee having a blt yeah. which i just discovered a couple years ago if you'll remember oh yeah i never had one my mom always ordered them when we went out to eat right. i just i don't know but then i ordered my first blt and i told everybody here you know what's really good bacon lettuce tomato sandwich everybody <laughs> mocked <laughs> me for that. yeah really they no. were really good <laughs> let's get the news now A uh,
0: quick update hurricane Dorian making landfall now over cape hatteras north carolina got maximum sustained winds near 90 miles an hour Meanwhile, you got rescue efforts continuing with the U.S. Coast Guard, making hundreds of runs, bringing in supplies, and rescuing survivors as quickly as possible. Across the pond, Britain's House of Lords has just approved a bill to block a no-deal Brexit, which will now become law once it gets royal approval. The law, backed by opposition lawmakers and conservative rebels, compels the Prime Minister Boris Johnson to ask the EU to postpone Brexit if no divorce agreement is in place. Wow! Will he do that? Well, I was. A would m- he resign? What would he do? That was a move that Johnson was asked about by a reporter at an appearance yesterday. Can you make a promise today to the British public that you will not go back to Brussels and ask for another delay to Brexit? Yes. And sorry. I
2: can.
3: And would you I'd rather? rather... Be,
1: I'd rather be dead in a ditch. There you go. But if they pass a law that says he has to, then what? What does he do? Does he resign? Going to be interesting to see what happens next. Start scouting ditches, I suppose. Or do they have yes. a? Or do they have an actual constitutional crisis? Even though they don't have a written constitution, right. unlike the phony constitutional crisis we've talked about, an actual one where he goes to Brussels and does something that he wasn't authorized to do. That would be a problem.
0: I don't know. This will be fun to watch. Yeah, eyeball to eyeball. Chinese banks are getting ready to help pump more money into the nation's economy. With the China versus U.S. trade war going on, China's economic growth has been sluggish at best. Good. On Friday, the People's Bank of China changed the rules regarding how much cash Chinese banks have to keep on hand, meaning there is now an additional $126 billion available for businesses and local governments to go ahead and borrow.
1: That's got to be a good sign, right? Yep. That China's saying, "Uh, you don't have to keep as much cash around. Go ahead and use that or spend that or something. Hope is the banks Oh, my God, that'd be something to see a giant crash in China. It runs on banks like it's uh, the U.S. in the early 30s.
0: The hope is that if the banks lend more money, the cash will flow into the economy and spur growth. This is a sure sign. We
1: just have to outweigh them. I hope Trump doesn't cave. Yeah. Now there was a fair number of uh, Senators from both sides of the aisle Yesterday that came forward uh, Chuck Schumer has been a supporter of this whole uh, Trade war with China from the beginning Right Need Democrats to be on board too So that so that Trump has a little bit of cover This is one we actually need to come together on And not let the, the partisanship ruin it Because we could beat these bastards And they are bastards The Communist Party of China They are bad, bad, bad,
0: bad, bad people Bad, bad, bad yes. people All right, and now it is time for another Armstrong and Getty 2020 Democratic Political Death Pool update. BuzzFeed News reporting the mayor of Miramar, Florida, Wayne Messam's (laughs) campaign. Wow. is a mess <laughs> he has not found much I... of an audience or uh, appeared in any of the debates he's only raised ninety three thousand dollars while assembling a campaign staff of about 20
1: and, 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 well that's more than trump had and trump became president but um uh in what sense is a guy like wayne messham running for president
2: he's got a staff of 20 he yes. hasn't he
1: hasn't taken the time to Take the paperwork down? Who had Wayne that Messam? Was, that was one of Marshall's.
0: Indeed, oh, really? Yeah. Indeed.
1: Just... Or, uh, so Gravel's out. Yep. Swalwell's out. Yep. When I think Messam, that's it. When Messam officially gets out, you won. Stakes. <laughs> stakes. The, yeah, yeah, the,
2: the stakes for the bet was stakes.
1: Yes. Wow.
2: Mate, don't do it. But Messam's not officially
0: out. Not but yet, but I, 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 you it's know. in turmoil. Yeah, yeah but some of, his, uh, surge, <laughs> some of his surge, some of his... Some of his staff are claiming Messam and his wife are refusing to pay them, yeah. saying, no, you've been volunteering. They're refusing to reimburse them for expenses they paid out of their own pockets for things like business cards.
1: Right. Well, we talked about this at the beginning of the bet. How do we decide when somebody's actually out of the race? Yeah. Because people regularly uh, suspend their campaign or keep campaigning because there are a variety of uh, laws and regulations of right. how the money flows that keeps you in the race. Um, you can still pay bills out of your campaign contributions as long as you're running in the. Bar. Once you quit, then right. it becomes more difficult. But there is no money. I think you technically won, but yeah, there we'll is to, no money. Yeah, we'll, we'll, have, to we'll wait. have to wait until Joe is here to get an official ruling. But I think Chris. you technically won. I think you technically cheated.
0: <laughs> hey, remember I went home and studied for yeah, hours. Cheated.
1: I did no studying. Yeah, well, I didn't know preparation was allowed. <laughs> well. I see. I should have told yeah. teachers that throughout the year. I didn't know preparation was allowed. <laughs> Did you tell us that? Isn't studying cheating like reading, you know, like right before you come in? Of course he knows the answers. He was studying.
0: Yes, looking things up. Hey, I got a new study that kind of fi- flies in the face of something you guys were talking about earlier about millennials drinking more. There's hmm. a new study out that finds millennials are ruining the economy, the childless millennials. They're waiting to have kids, and that can end up having serious consequences for the economy. For example, their 20s are going to be a lot more fun. I know. (laughs) A study done by the Wall Street Journal found only 20% of young Americans between the ages of 18 and 38 say having children was very important. That compares with nearly 50% of Generation X and 65% of baby boomers and individuals belonging to the silent generation, which is way back in the day. Right. I talk to
1: my kids about it on a regular basis My, uh, it's because it was our wedding anniversary yesterday, getting married and all that sort of stuff was a uh, topic of conversation around the house. My uh, my youngest, my seven-year-old Henry said, he said, how long have you been married? I said, 11 years, and we dated for like uh, about two years before that. And he said, did you have hair when you were dating? <laughs> And I said well, I said question. no and he said oh gross I could never date anybody with no hair <laughs> I said well you know you're you're probably not going to date a girl with no hair. That the women don't go bald generally. So, but mom did date me when I was bald. He was astonished that mom would marry a guy who was bald. Raise your standards, mom. <laughs> it's embarrassing, mom. You could do better than that. A bald guy, really. One last note. But anyway, oh, the point I brought yeah. that up was yeah. I'm always telling him, no, sure. you're going to get married because you're going to want to have kids because it's the best thing you're ever going to do in your life, right? It gives life meaning. And that was a huge age range, too, is from 18
2: to 38, something yeah. like that. I, I, the people from 18 to 25, and that your ideas on this
1: are going to change drastically by the time you're 26, 27, 28.
0: Yeah, but they're going up now to 38 and almost 40. I can tell yeah.
1: you about one young man and his bride who had every intention when they got married to never have kids, and that would be Joe and Judy Getty, who are... Solid on they were never going to have children Were they? Yeah Wow, I were never knew make... that Yeah, and he has
2: three kids That seems so atypical to how I know yeah. Joe Getty to be
1: Exactly Right Well, it's the point you just yeah. made your, your attitudes change on what you want to do with your life There you go, that's your news Yes, um... absolutely <laughs> And I had no interest in having kids until I was 40-something Which, you know, is, is pathetic and sad And I wish I had done it earlier But <laughs>
0: You were just a millennial ahead of your time Exactly right. <laughs> right.
1: That's exactly right <laughs>
0: That's your news, a millennial prototype. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation.
3: And I'm
1: not trying to convince anybody of anything. I'm just saying this to show how attitudes change. I had no intention of having kids in my 20s and 30s and... and Little to know uh, at the time I turned 40. Now I see no point to living without children. I have no reason. I I don't understand why I even existed. What was I doing every day? What was the point of life? Again, I'm not trying to convince anybody. I'm just showing you how much your attitude can change.
3: That's a good point,
1: Jack. That's uh, that's virtual Joe. Joe's not actually here. <laughs> VR Joe. VR Joe. We're going to yeah. talk to Lan He Chen, one of our favorite analysts on politics, about politics and other things, coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: That's that's the kind of memory problems that people his age, and indeed my age, have all the time. And I think that the thing that may catch up with with Biden over time, even among Democrats who would otherwise be for him, is the feeling that that senility is overtaking him, and I think it is.
1: I thought that was a pretty strong statement earlier in the week from Britt Hume, senior political commentator on Fox, that I think senility is overtaking Joe Biden, the current leader by double digits to be the nominee to take on Trump. It seems like a big deal. Let's ask Lon He Chen. He's a David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Director of Domestic Policy Studies and Lecturer in the Public Policy Program at Stanford University, and he's got a great podcast, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Lon He, welcome to the show today.
3: Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, You probably know Britt Humes, He's not a bomb chucker. He's not a guy that says the hyperbolic things to get attention. Him saying he thinks Biden is into senility I thought was pretty significant.
3: It is significant. And I I think Brits kind of put his finger on something. You know, a lot of people have talked about how Biden has performed so far. And they said, well, you know, he he seems to have had some gaps. He seems to have, uh, you know, maybe misremembered a few things. And and I think the issue is not so much the nature of the statements. It's, It's, you know, what do the statements say about his preparedness for the job? And I think that would be the bigger set of concerns. And I think, you know, we we hate to talk about it in this way, but I do think the question is, for him, is age a factor? Is that something that people need to evaluate and think about as they're trying to, particularly Democratic primary voters, pick a nominee? And I think what Biden's performance so far has suggested is that he has lost a step from, you know, a few years ago. Uh, you know, I remember seeing him in 2012 in those vice presidential debates against uh, Paul Ryan, that's really the last time he's had to perform in a sort of campaign setting. You know, he was pretty good. And he definitely is not the same guy today as he was in 2012. And I think that will be a factor in this campaign.
1: So there's two angles to this I want to explore with you, since you've actually been in uh, rooms with people with big time candidates uh, running for president and giving advice and everything like that. What does Biden do to try to quiet down this talk?
3: Well, look, I, I, I think some of it, he he just needs to be sort of his authentic self, which, you know, may be the case that sometimes he's going to say things and he's going to bumble and he's going to stumble, and that's just who he is. And, and you know, I think embracing that to a certain degree w- would be part of it. But, you know, the, the challenge, Jack, here is that there, there's just – there are some things which he's not going to be able to cover up or he's not going to be able to deal with in a way – that's going to be satisfactory to some voters. Some voters are just going to make the decision. Look, you know, we want to go with someone younger because we believe the party needs to get younger, or we believe that the uh, that the best way to beat Donald Trump, if you're a Democrat, is to pick somebody who's a little bit more young and vibrant. Well, so going
1: so younger might this, mean 69 with Elizabeth Warren.
3: Yeah, no, that, that that that's exactly right. You know, I'm not I'm not sure people are ready to go to 38, which is what Pete Buttigieg is. I think, but but look, I think some of this is it's just an inherent challenge of running as joe biden in the phase of life that he's in there's only so much you can do to um, you know to, to sort of make up for the fact that if the voters of the democratic party want a different kind of candidate they're going to end up going with a different kind of candidate so there's only so much you can do
1: we're talking with Lon hee chen you've probably seen him on uh, face the nation or Bret Baier special report, or, or wherever they uh, they talk to smart, smart people about politics. So what do the other candidates do? I've wondered if at some point or on the maybe on the debate stage next week, do, do one of the candidates make a pointed shot at Biden about his slipping faculties? Or is that something you just can't do?
3: Yeah, I, you know, I wouldn't do that, Jack. I, I mean, if if I were advising a candidate, I wouldn't say, you know, go after Biden on something that's obvious to people. Right. Now, what you can always do is put pressure on him. You can sort of push him on issues. You can Mm. push him on. You know, you remember that exchange Kamala Harris and him had in the very first debate where she pushed him on busing. Right. I mean, busing is not going to be it's not going to be the issue that defines this campaign. But Biden's response to it. Biden's inability to respond to it might be something that will impact the campaign. So you push him on issues that he's going to be less comfortable on, wow. and see how he responds. That's there, a good there's idea. No reason to, there's no reason to directly go after the guy. I mean. That, if anything, is going to engender sympathy for him, I would think. So I I wouldn't do that, but I would push him on the tough issues.
1: Well, I've had my money on Biden uh, all along from the beginning, but right now if I had to bet my own money, it's on Elizabeth Warren for a couple of different reasons. She just seems to have her swagger. She seems to be growing in the role, like getting better at it. Her crowds are – the only times I've ever seen crowds like this are Bernie, Trump, and Obama, which, you know, are some pretty successful campaigns – Uh, And I also notice she runs out every time, which might be a kind of a subtle shot at Biden. The fact that she sprints out on the stage. But I really feel like Elizabeth Warren's got got it going on. How about you?
3: Yeah, I mean, she's got her mojo right now. The the issue, I think, that strengthens her at this point is that she hasn't really been attacked by anyone in a while. Uh, She's basically been able to coast. She's not getting any flack from her left. She doesn't seem to be getting a whole lot of flack from her right, mainly because, you know, the entirety of the Democratic field seems to have shifted roughly to right. where she is. Um, it'll be interesting to see how she responds uh, if and when she comes under pressure, which invariably, as the field narrows, she's going to get some pressure. And you'll recall her campaign really got off to a horrible start with the whole you right. know, Native American blood test and all that stuff. And the beer was in the not, kitchen was, was not a good start for her. And 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 so we'll have to see what happens once she once she gets some pressure from the other candidates once she's forced to defend some of her positions are way out there Jack I mean you you oh history, yeah. you've covered this I mean she's got some some really far left ideas and if she comes under pressure for that you know we'll, we'll have to see how she handles it
1: yeah that that that's a good point I mean at, at the end of the day I hope. It comes down to some of these policy positions, and hers are way out of the mainstream. Um, uh, on Trump for a few minutes, did you follow Sharpie Gate this week? And were, were you cringing the whole time, saying, "Why don't you just stop digging and end this?"
3: Yeah, it, it, it was cringeworthy. I mean, that the you know it would have been better to have had the map without the Sharpie uh, mark. I mean, the Sharpie mark was it was just one of those things where, and you've heard all the different analogies. You know, the kid who doesn't do his homework and covers up by. You know, try, trying to forge his parents' signature. I mean, you've heard all the different <laughs> analogies, and they're the, they're the. But the thing is, is that they're the right analogies, and this is one of those situations where the president could have very easily said, "Look, I, I got a briefing at some point where very early on, it looked like the hurricane might hit Alabama. It didn't. Thank God, it didn't. Let's right. move on, right? And, and and instead, he's out there sending the national security team to talk about you know these things to to justify a comment he made, and I just. I, I think sometimes the the president digs in a little too much. in one of those situations where he where 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 where, where he he erred.
1: But then you can always count on the Trump hating media to overreact with the Washington Post right. going with it is actually illegal to alter a federal meteorological map.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and 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 I mean this is this is part of part of why Trump supporters, people who support the president and are firmly and squarely behind him, why they why they continue to support him in in the way that they do, because they see the reaction from the left. And it's so overheated and it's so, you know, these guys are completely off the chain, as it were. And and it's like, you know, come on, guys, like, you know, it's funny, it's comical, you poke fun at it, but but they turn it into a federal case. And it's it's really not right. I mean, it's a guy who doesn't doesn't like to apologize. You know, there are probably personality things there. Well, that's but, why it was so it's, cringeworthy.
1: It's we all knew what was going on there. I've been there before, where I've done or said something was wrong, and instead of just ad- owning up to it immediately, I try to justify it for a while, and it just it's always a bad feeling and a bad look. Maybe we all learn a lesson from this. If you make an obvious mistake, just say I made a mistake, and then it's over.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that would that. That 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 would have been the the path of less resistance here for sure.
1: Talking with Lon He Chen. What's the name of your podcast, and uh, and what's the next episode about?
3: It's called Crossing Lines, and uh, it, we had a we have an episode coming up next week with a guy named Neil Irwin, who is the chief uh, one of the chief economics writers. At we the just talked Times. to him
1: about a half hour ago, and we are all discussing how great he was.
3: Oh, he's terrific, yeah. and and he had some great insights about the economy yep. and where it's headed. And so, you know, have a listen when it comes out next week.
1: Yeah, a good long form conversation with him with you would be. I I will definitely check that out. Uh, Lon He Chen, thank you very much for your time. Next week, I'm sure we'll be talking debate. Can't wait to do it. Thanks, Jack. Yeah. Um see, Lonhee would ask him the, uh, Neil smart questions as opposed to the Neil dumb won't questions. have to tell him. Oh, that's a good question, Lonhee. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> Neil said. Um, yeah, all that stuff. And, you know, he's right. I keep forgetting that about the whole Elizabeth Warren thing, that it's not just personality and crowds and all that sort of stuff. At some point, the issues could be looked at by some of her opponents, especially if she ends up in the lead and somebody might say a Biden or somebody might say, hey, that whole plan that's going to cost 14 trillion dollars. Uh, what did not even blah, blah, blah. And uh, might be a, a different position for her at that point when she has to explain some of these things. Good stuff with Lon He Chen, and again, his podcast is called Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen, which is available wherever podcasts are sold, just like ours.